Good morning. Uh, part of me feels like I don't even need to say anything. Like those words to those songs, uh, those prayers, that passage, just are everything. So, uh, but I'm still going to. So, um, if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the, the pastors here. Um, if you're, let me just say, if you're new um, or haven't been here in a while, uh, let me just tell you that you're very welcome. We love you. Um, we're glad you're here. We want to, we want to serve you. We want to um, welcome you in. So um, I will say this, that um, the first Sunday of every month, we run a little intro to Village, uh, donuts and coffee, uh, 15, 20 minutes um, back through here. So um, if you are new, um, come along to one of those. Uh, again, first, first Sunday of every single month, we're going to do it um, let me give you a quick update on, on, on Lucas. So Lucas had his, um, his meeting on Monday uh, with his uh, team of doctors. So if you don't know yet, Lucas has been diagnosed with cancer in his, in his mouth and his throat. Um, I'm trying to, there's so many like updates we've given that I'm like, where, where are we? Um, the good news from, from that meeting was the, the CT scan that he had during the week uh, showed that this cancer hasn't spread. Um, so that's a real answer to prayer, hallelujah. Um, the, the next uh, kind of few months, what it's going to look like is he'll have kind of six weeks of radiation therapy uh, to try to zap that thing and kill it. Um, so be praying for him in that. Um, that'll probably start in a couple weeks' time. Um, a few things they need to do uh, before then. Um, but the Lord is hearing our cries. He's answering our prayers. Uh, continue, that, um, continue to pray. Continue to cry out uh, for him, for us. Um, as a team, um, it's going to be it's going to be a fun <laughs> few months. But uh, yeah, let me pray for us. Let me pray for me um, as we go on. Uh, Lord, we want to come to you again um, with our hands open, um, bringing um, our weakness. I just want to admit that I'm tired this morning. Um, we thank you for the weekend that we had with our leaders. We thank you for being present. We thank you for, um, for answering prayers, for, for uh, reviving our souls again, restoring us, giving us rest, and placing our focus on you and what you've done, Jesus. We ask that that would continue on to this morning, um, that you would strengthen us with your power, as Paul prays in Ephesians 3, that according to the glory, uh, according to the, uh, the, the abundance of your glories and that you'd, you'd strengthen us with power by your spirit in our inner being. I pray for that now for me, Lord. I want to bring, I, w- I want uh, you to speak through this, um, this weakness. Uh, don't, don't empty this power and by trying hard and by striving, but we want to rest in your grace. Um, so we ask you, Spirit, to, um, to, to empower us, to be with us. It's only through you that we can have our eyes open. It's only through you that, that the, the words of the, uh, these scriptures can, can come alive. And we ask that you speak to us this morning, Lord. Praise things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let me change my back.
Check, check, one, two. Okay, we might need to get a new one of these. Um, cool, well, we're, we're currently in what was meant to be a five-week series looking at our, our values that we have here at Village. These are our, our kind of family core values. Essentially, they are um, kind of 10 cultures that we want to continually seek to, to develop uh, within our church family. Um, we're probably going to extend this uh, a week or two simply because it's just too hard to cover all of them, two of them in each, in the, in, in each Sunday. So um, I'm just going to do one this Sunday and kind of bump the next one uh, to the next Sunday, which I think is the best call because they're, they're really important. Um, I noted last week that these aren't necessarily the, the definition of, uh, of a church. They're not all-encompassing of what, it, of what it looks like to be the church in the world, okay? Rather, they're, they're a set of biblical values uh, or, or cultures that we've, we've decided to be really intentional with about developing in our church family. So I said last week that if we were a church in China or in Turkey, or if we were a church here in this, in this building in Belfast, but like 40 years ago, some of the, the cultures that we would be real intentional about developing might be slightly different, but we live here now, Belfast 2018, and so these are the ones. We live in a culture that's, that's very individualistic, as, as you all know and experience. Um, so when, when you ask the question, who am I? So that's a question that everybody in, in the room will have to answer at some point. Who am I? We, have, we live in a culture that encourages us to, to carve out that answer for ourselves, to, um, to, to base that answer on who's, who we are, what's inside, or what's our behavioral tendencies, our character traits. We live in a culture that's very uh, performance-driven, we live in a culture that encourages us to accumulate. We live in a culture that, that celebrates doubt over truth. Now, I, I'm not saying that doubt is not something that we all experience, that, that it's, it's not even necessarily a bad thing, but our culture uh, elevates it over, over things that are true. And we live in a culture that, that teaches us that there's only really one person that you can truly depend on in your life, and that's you. And so in week one, Thomas looked at we continually seek to develop a culture of church's family. He also looked at the value of spiritual honesty and authenticity in our faith. And I mentioned last week that church's family is hugely, hugely important to understanding what it means to, to actually operate as the body of Christ, to what, what it means to be the church. So remember in Ephesians 2, um, Paul says that you were once separated from Christ. You were, you were without God. Okay? You had no hope in the world, but through Christ crucified, you've, you've been brought near again if you're in Christ. That you were, you, you've been brought out of darkness. And you've, you've been brought out of being exiled away from the presence of God, but through Jesus, you've been, you've been brought from death into life. Okay? You've been brought from darkness to this marvelous light. You've been reconciled to, to the Father through the cross. You've been made citizens and family members of the, of the family of God, his household. That, that you're sitting here now, brothers and sisters, family. Okay? You're, you're sons and daughters of God. You're members of an eternal family that, that can never be broken. It's different from the way we experience family uh, here on earth, a temporary family. This, this means that, that church is not a meeting you attend. It's not, it's not a place you enter. Rather, it's, it's an identity that is ours in Christ. That you are the church, you are the bride of Christ, you are a royal priesthood being sent into the world together 
to share the gospel, to, to share the good news of, of Jesus Christ and to usher in the kingdom of God. So this is our, our identity that we've actually been given. Um, it's because we understand that church is a family rather than like a social club that you pay your dues to enter. It means that this is also the, the safest place to be spiritually. Okay, we want this to be a place where it's okay to be honest about where we are spiritually without any need to pretend. Okay, we want this to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. You don't have to leave all your worries and doubts at the door. Bring them in. Okay? Doubts, doubts actually best explored within uh, the, the security of family life. So if my, my son Abe starts to doubt his, his position in our family, I, don't want, I want him to come to me to, to share those doubts with him, and we'll work that out together rather than I have to go somewhere else to, to figure that, that, that out and then come home. So we want to be, build an environment where we, can, we actually wrestle with the difficult things of life here, we, where you can be open and honest about your brokenness. With, with the hope that, that those things will be resolved in the hope of the gospel. We, it's okay to not be okay, but we don't want you to stay there. We want you to be okay in the hope of the gospel, which is why the next week Andrew talked about we continually develop the cultures of the word dwelling among us, okay, and, and, spirit, and uh, prayer and dependency. So we, we believe that, that God reveals himself primarily through the scriptures, um, so we're not only to be a people who hear it, but, but people who are shaped and, and molded and transformed by it. So we, we believe that the Word of God is living, it's breathing, it's active, it's alive, and, and it's our final authority on truth. It's, it's actually the scriptures that, that shape our thinking, that shape the way we live. We want to be people who are grounded in the truth of the gospel. Um, we also want, uh, we believe that all throughout the scriptures you see the people of God are people who, who cry out to him. Um, we, we, uh, people are those who, who in times of need they cry out, they, 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 they pray. Okay? So we want to continually, we, 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 not, we don't want to depend on our own selves. We want to place our dependence on, on Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and all of life. So we pray constantly. Um, it's mainly because Jesus tells us to do that. Um, and, and last week, we spent the majority of the time looking at what it means to live with gospel intentionality, this, this culture of gospel intentionality within our family, um, which is a very big one because it's essentially our, our philosophy of ministry here. So if you were to ask, um, okay, what's your, what's your master plan for the Great Commission? How are you going to do evangelism? How are you going to reach the lost in your city? Or how, are you, how do you do discipleship within your family? The master plan is basically... Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Um, I, I think we have the two models. Uh, so I put these two models. They're models of life. Um, and you have on this one is, is the way most of us Westerners think of life. That at the center of life, the achieving life, is you and you're, you're juggling all the different things of life. Um, very, various aspects, um, various responsibilities. And with this model, usually one of the balls that you're juggling is, is church. Um, it, you're trying to fit it in alongside your work and your play and, and your really busy life. But rather, we, we've, we found that this is actually more a biblical model uh, to, how you, to how to view your life. Uh, that um, the, the, it's, Our life is a wheel where the, the different spokes on life are the various aspects and responsibilities. But the very center, the hub of your life, is not you juggling all these things alone. It's actually us. 
in Christian community, all, and, and all the different aspects of your life actually flow out of, those, out of, out of what we call this, this gospel-shaped community, where people who, who are defined by the gospel, but the context where we live our life is in community. So with this view of life, uh, that, that sharing the gospel, spreading the good news, making disciples, isn't just another thing that you have to juggle and fit into your life. It actually becomes your life. Um, so the way you do it is by doing all these ordinary things, but with gospel intentionality. And we do this together, not, not in isolation. We do it in community. And here's, here's uh, a, a couple conversations that I had after that was, okay, this idea of church as family, um, of living your life where... where we do all the ordinary things, but with gospel intentionality, like they all have purpose and meaning now. Sounds great. Love it. But because church, because community, because doing gospel ministry are no longer just a part of my life, but they are in fact my whole life. They are in fact my whole identity. It's, it's now all encompassing of life. Okay? Now, now that everything I'm, I do, I'm meant to, to do with gospel intentionality. Everything I do is now defined by the gospel. What do I do when I mess that up? So, so I, this is a little bit easier in some ways, okay? Because you can compartmentalize things, okay? So um, this is the part of my life, but the rest of it is, is essentially mine. Um, so you've, you've now, with this model, put an enormous amount of pressure on my whole life, on everything I do. I'm bound to fail, aren't I? So if church is family, I don't want to let the family down. So much pressure on it now. What am I meant to do? Um, firstly, remember Jesus, the conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler? And this rich young man who had many possessions, okay, no financial worries in life. He, he came to Jesus and he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus, he knows him. I love when Jesus has conversations with people because he's like, all right, I'm going to play your game for a minute. I know you. So he goes over these, okay, do this. Here's the different commandments. You know you have to, what you have to do. And the rich man says, okay, I've kept all of these. Is, is there anything else? And, and I love how Mark puts it in his gospel. Because he says, and Jesus looking at him loved him. So he's not, he's not trying to catch him out. Jesus looks at him and he loves him. And he said, all these possessions you have, go and sell them. Get rid of them. Use that money, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Jesus is, it's the, same, it's the same invitation that he has for his disciples, isn't it? All, stop what you're doing, drop what you're doing, and come and follow me. And Jesus is saying, uh, to enter the kingdom, to, to follow the way of the kingdom, means that I must be king of your whole life. Not just part of it, but everything. And in, in, in fact, in Matthew 19, chapter 29, Jesus is having... After that conversation, he's then discussing it with his disciples, having this kind of teaching moment. And in verse 29, he says, and, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, if you've left all that for my name's sake, it's those who will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. It, it's, it's those who, 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 who give up the God of their lives to follow me. Those are the ones who will inherit eternal life. And listen, it's, 
there's one little word in there that's very, very important to understand what he's saying because um, he's saying that little word inherit is really important because Jesus is saying that this is not something, all this giving up, it's not something you actually, uh, you can earn this eternal life. It's actually, I've given it to you by grace, okay? You've been saved. Eternal life is inherited purely by grace. So an inheritance is not something that you earn, Okay? It's, it's something that, that is simply given to you because of who you are, because of who your daddy is. Um, an inheritance is something that's, that's passed on to you purely because your father is your father, because you are a son or a daughter of him, because you are an inheritor. So over and over again, this is what Paul tells us about our identity. So um, we're going to turn there here in a bit, but in Romans 8, Uh, verse 12 to 17, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And listen to this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the slavery of sin to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Wow. So you've been, you've been, made, you've been made an heir. How have you been made an heir? Paul says this in Galatians 4. He says, but, but when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if, and if a son, then an heir through God. If you're worried about Jesus being the king of your whole life, and if, if you're worried about maybe failing him in these moments, I'm going to say this very gently, but you may not fully understand that the kingdom is a kingdom of grace. It, it, you don't enter it by, by proving yourself. You, you don't enter it by, by making sure you do all the right things and you never mess up. You enter it by grace because you've been chosen, adopted freely, undeservingly. And this is the, the value that we're talking about today. Um, so um, this is the... Summary, it says, in understanding the full and immeasurable extent of God's grace on our lives, we want to show grace beyond our limits. A village, we are seeking to develop a culture of grace upon grace. It is, this, it is in this grace that, that we truly understand the love of God and also realize that the path of, of a disciple is a path towards healing and wholeness and holiness. Um, this was a little bit of a hard one because you're like, okay, you talk for... 40 minutes about grace, and you're like, that's the whole Bible. Like, what do I, what do I start? Like, how do I fit it all into one sermon? So it's like if I took my son uh, to, like, a sweet shop, he's sitting there for ages. He's like, I don't, know what, I, I don't know what to pick. Like, what should I pick? I don't want to miss out. If I give him two options, like, do you want this or this? He's like, what would you choose? Like, I don't want to choose the right. It, the Bible is just full of it. It's the narrative of the Bible. But um, if you're not already in Ephesians 2, turn to Ephesians 2. We spent the whole weekend in the book of Ephesians um, as a leadership team, so um, it's just on our hearts, so that's where we're going to go. Um, 
Firstly, look, um, I'm going to read a little bit of Ephesians 1. So Paul is writing this, this letter to the church in Ephesians, and he's, he's, he's giving thanks, and he's, he's praying uh, for the church here in, in Ephesians. And he's, he's encouraging them to, to realize what they've been saved into. So um, chapter 1, verse 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Father, Lord, that the, that, the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which, you have, to which He has called you. That you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What is the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward those, towards us who believe? Isn't that incredible? He's, he's saying, listen, I'm praying for you. I want you to know what you've been called into, this glorious grace that you've been brought into. And in chapter 2, he, he goes on, he, he's saying, listen, in order for you to know that, in order for you to fully understand, fully appreciate what you've been saved into, you also need to know what you've been saved from, what you've been saved out of. And he, he says in, in verse 1, okay, I want you to know the, uh, the hope to which you've been called into, what you, what, what you, this glorious grace. And he says, in order to understand that, let's look back and see what you've been saved from. And in verse one, he, see, he starts this, and he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Following the course of this air, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And verse four says, but God... But God is the, it's, it's the theme of this, of this chapter. It's probably the theme of the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says it again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast, okay? So in order to appreciate the, the light, this marvelous light that we've been brought into, we need to understand the darkness that we've been brought out of. A lot of times I don't think... Um, we, me, fully understand what we've been saved from. So uh, a lot of times we can think we've been saved from a jacuzzi, okay? So it's like Jesus has, has taken us, rescued us from a jacuzzi, but it's because it's a jacuzzi, we're not actually that grateful. Like, oh, thanks, I thank God. Um, so uh, uh, we've, we've said this before. A better illustration is this, isn't it? That we weren't in a jacuzzi. We were instead in a roaring river, flailing, hopelessly, helplessly drowning in this river, rushing down the river. And Jesus, in his, in his love for us, extends this branch for us. And we grab onto the branch, and he pulls us back to the shore, pulls us, out, pulls us to safety. That's, that's a better uh, understanding of it, isn't it? No, because it's, it's, it, there's one problem. It's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't tell us that we were drowning we had drowned, it says. He says it, we weren't flailing down the river, crying out for help, help me. The Bible tells us that we were face down, lifeless, dead in this river, 
lifeless in our sins, spiritually a corpse. Okay, and when you're, when you're spiritually dead, you don't have any inclination, you don't have any responsiveness towards God, no ability to please him. Angie said this at our, at our leaders weekend, he says the only thing a corpse is good for is rotting. That's the only thing a corpse does is it rots. It's for death, it's for, it's for the ground. That's, that's what you and I were like before we became Christians, spiritually dead, rebels before God completely cut off with no hope, no opportunity in Christ, without Christ. And, and you may be thinking, well, what, what happened when I received Christ then? I, I definitely responded in some way. And yes, you did, but, but, it's, but only because of the grace that God called you. It's only because the grace of God has, had initiated the Holy Spirit starting to work in your life, okay? You didn't start that. God started it when you were dead in your sins, he tells us. Okay, he took the initiative. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead, lifeless, a corpse, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He didn't extend a branch for you to grab onto. He pulled your dead body out of the water and breathed life back into you. Isn't that incredible? Um, on the screen, I have a, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So, so Paul tells us what grace is here. Um, he says there's been an appearance of grace. Uh, and that appearance is, is what he mentioned in, in Galatians 4. Okay, he says, when the fullness of time come, had, had come, God sent forth his son. He sent forth his son, Jesus. Jesus sent by the Father out of heaven to appear on this earth and to show and to be grace. So, so as, we, as we talk about grace, it's, it's easy to, to kind of dissect it, put it, put it up here, and we'll, we'll look at it, think about it kind of abstract, abstractly. But we need to understand that grace is a person. Grace, grace is Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus sent by the Father, full of grace. And Titus 2 also tells us what grace does. He says it brings salvation. For, for, the, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to the people. The, the grace of God saves us. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to listen to, to people's uh, salvation story. How, how did you... How'd you become a Christian? Like, tell me the story. Um, even in this room, there's, there's, there's a lot of stories about Christ saving you. Um, and if you're like me, I, I like, the, like the wild ones. Um, the like prisoner in a jail cell, um, on death row, people encountering Jesus. Um, Ex-warlord coming to faith. Um, I was reading a, a little article like Johnny Cash, the end of his road, addicted to pills, total mess in his life, um, suicidal, or, or, or Saul of Tarsus, okay? Terrorist, okay, hunting Christians, and by the grace of God, Jesus invades his life and saves him. Love these stories. And, and I like hearing these stories because I don't think of mine as that exciting. So I think of mine more as like the jacuzzi story, and, and, and a lot of you might be like me. So grew up in a Christian home, ha, had good parents, took you to church, taught, taught you about Jesus, 
Um, and and then one day, one day, as my mom was explaining it, it, it clicked and it made sense and accepted him. That might be like your story. But it's important to remember that, that if you are a Christian here this morning, you were just as dead in your sins as anyone else. Like warlord, mob boss, terrorist. If, if you got two corpses, one is not more dead than the other. Okay? They, they are both dead, and they are both in need of a miracle to resurrect them. So if you're a Christian, that's what's happened to you. Pure miracle. Not a jacuzzi story. Pulled out of the water, dead, breathes life into if you're not a Christian, that, this is what can happen to you. You've been saved from death, and you've been saved to life in Christ. You, you were rebels against God, and yet Jesus, out of his love, he took the death penalty for you. So, so uh, there's this substitution, this swapping over because of, because of his grace towards us. So, so Jesus, he, he took on our sin on the cross, and, and we took on his life. Not, both of those things undeserved. Jesus didn't deserve to take on our sin, but he took it on. He took that condemnation on. And we didn't deserve his life, but, but it says we were, we were robed in his righteousness. He took our eternal separation from God. In exchange, we get communion and friendship with God himself. We become his family there's this, this wonderful exchange on the cross, completely vindicated when, when Christ rose from the dead. And all of it undeserved, unmerited grace that comes from God. That, that's something that we hear a lot, but it should just wreck you. So grace saves us when we didn't deserve to be saved. Grace also celebrates Jesus' victory and not our own good works. So remember what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 8? Okay, it's by grace you have been saved. Nothing, not anything that you've done, by grace, through faith. So when we put our faith in Jesus, he says, this is not your own doing, this faith. It is a gift from God, something you receive and should cherish and should celebrate. Not as a, re- a result of works. Why? So no one can boast. Okay, um, a, g- a great example of this is uh, David and Goliath. Okay, you've all heard that story. Go back and read it again, 1 Samuel 17. And I'm just going to recap it for, for time's sake. But in that story, remember you have the Israelites and you have the Philistines. And, and they were enemies. They hated each other. And the, the Israelites were encamped on one mountain and the Philistines on the other mountain. And in between was this valley where they were to do their battle. And, and, but for this battle, rather than the whole of the armies coming together... Clash of the Titans. They would. Um, they decided they were going to. They were each going to choose uh, their biggest, strongest warrior, and they would fight one on one. And whoever wins that fight, their army would be victorious. So, if the Philistines, uh, their person defeated the Israelites' person, then the Israelites would be defeated. Okay, and that means that they would be slaves forever to the Philistines, and and vice versa. And so. Big Goliath comes out, okay? And, and he's been chosen by the Philistines, and it's obvious why, okay? Nine-foot warrior, mammoth of a man. He's mighty, and he, he's, he comes out, and he's, he says he's shouting to the Israelites. He's mocking them for like 40 days. And, and King Saul and, and the, the Israelites, it says that they were dismayed. They were terrified. 
They, 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 were, they were shaking the boots because they knew they didn't have anyone that was, was going to beat this guy. Okay, they knew they had no hope in overcoming this giant. But then one day, uh, David comes, and he, he's, he just comes to bring his, his brother's lunch. And he's our unlikely hero. Okay? Uh, youngest in the family, not even young enough to come to battle yet. Um, he's, he's been out uh, watching his father's sheep. Um, but he looks at Goliath, and he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. Who is this coming up against the armies of God? Uh, he knows that uh, David has a history with God up to this point. So he's, he's, through God's help, he's defeated lions. He's killed bears as, as he's looked after his father's sheep. And so he knows he has this history with God, but his, his brothers are still belittling him. Okay? He's, he's, he's no match to Goliath. He's much smaller. Doesn't even fit into Saul's armor. And yet he says, I can take you down by the power of God. Um, so you know the story. He gets his five smooth stones, and he gets his sling, and he fires his first stone, and it, and it hits Goliath right in the forehead, and, and Goliath drops. And David doesn't even have a sword, so he goes over, uses Goliath's sword, and chops his head off. And the story goes that, that the Israelites rise up, and they plunder the Philistines. They, 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 they take their camp. They take all their possessions, all their silver, all their gold, all their animals. They, and they've won a great victory that day. But, but here's the point, is, is the Old Testament points towards the New Testament. Okay, we're told that, that one greater than David, from, from the line of David, is going to come and he'll be victorious. So, so David's story is just a foreshadowing of, of another story, of Jesus' story. So it, Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory. See, although they, they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves, their victory becomes becomes theirs. There, there, there comes a time when, when Jesus, grace personified, comes from the Father to win a great victory on our behalf. Okay? And it's not a victory against the nine-foot giant. It's a victory against Satan and sin and death itself. Jesus, also an unlikely hero, uh, we're told that he was despised and rejected. Okay? He's just a carpenter from Nazareth. Who's this? He's not going to win a big victory, but he won a mighty victory on the cross. He defeated death. And remember the, the Israelites, they didn't lift a finger to defeat Goliath. It, one person did it on their behalf. One who achieved the victory on their behalf. So because of, because of David's victory, all the spoils, all the rewards became theirs. Although they hadn't lifted a finger to achieve the victory. That's exactly what Jesus has done on our behalf. That, that's why Paul says it's a gift. All you've done is receive the gift. Okay? You can't boast. We can't claim any credit of it at all because Jesus has won the victory on our behalf. And imagine the, the scene that night around the campfire. Okay? They, they thought that they were done. They thought that, okay, we're going to be slaves to the Philistines forever. And imagine them sitting around the campfire okay, and saying, what a victory we've won. We won today. And on one hand, they are right, okay? Because, because, uh, uh, because of, of David, they, they had won a great victory. But another person will chime in and says, yeah, but it was David, wasn't it? And, and they would go on to sing songs about David, okay? How Saul had killed thousands of men, but David, he routed armies of tens of thousands. And, and they knew that the victory belonged to David, that, that they were, they were free, freely receiving of this, that they didn't earn any of it. That's exactly what grace is. Everything you've got, friendship, 
with God, forgiveness, eternity with him. It all comes free. You've not lifted a finger. You've not earned it. You've literally received it. It's by grace. You see how grace underpins everything we do here. It underpins the whole Bible. What's the Bible about? It's a narrative about grace. And we want it to underpin every single thing we do here at Village. Um, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer warns that uh, just in the first couple sentences, he says that cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. Don't cheapen, God's, uh, don't cheapen uh, Jesus' sacrifice by, by trying to pay him back. Okay? You can't pay him back with good works. Verse 8 in chapter 2 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. You've received it. It's not a result of works, so no one can boast. In verse 10 he says, So we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so it's because of grace that we're motivated to work for him, to keep his commands. But it's not to earn our salvation, Okay, we do it out of love for him, out of thanksgiving. It's because of what he's done for us. It's, it's a result of the grace that we've been shown. It's this grace that, that we've been giving, we've been given new identities as the family of God. So remember, what, who am I? I don't conjure that up myself. It's, a, it's something I receive by grace. It's by grace that we've been brought together to live out this good news. It's by grace that you are no longer condemned, but you are free. Free to live ordinary lives with gospel intentionality, okay? Free to, to display the grace that we've been shown. John 1.16 says, for, the, for from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. He's lavished it upon us, as Lucas said. You see how this, this grace is the foundation to all we do? It's why we live ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. It's, it's how we live lives with ordinary, uh, ordinary lives with gospel intentionality, by grace. So that question of, of what do I do when I fail this new life I've been given? Listen to me, if you're scared or you're worried about that, you don't understand grace yet. Or maybe you've forgotten. I do. Paul Tripp says that the reason failing terrifies us so badly is because we, we, we want to believe that we are something that we're not. We, we hold on to this delusional hope that we are something that you're never going to be apart from Christ. And, and, and by doing that, that's how we actually devalue grace. That's how we begin to cheapen grace. We cheapen grace when we, when we return to the old way. When our identity is, is rooted in success and performance. And if we've done the right thing or if we've succeeded or failed... Okay? Rather than how great Jesus is and, and what he's accomplished on our behalf. Okay? You have identities of grace now. It's by grace that you've been saved. It's by grace that you've been brought from death to life. By grace you've been given this new life. What wonderful freedom. Um, l- listen to this. This is important. You've been saved. You've been brought to life. But you're not done yet. You're not a perfect person yet. Um, you've, you've been given, robed with Jesus' righteousness. Say, when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sins. He sees Christ's righteousness. 
But in the meantime, you still have this like earthly, you have a, a ways to go in becoming like Christ. Turn over to Romans 8. This is something that Paul understood. Okay, he, he understood what he's been saved from, death. He understood what he's been saved to, life in Christ. He understands grace. It's, 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 uh, Lucas said at the weekend, Paul never really got over uh, the road to Damascus, what, what the Lord did for him, the grace he's been shown. He shows this glorious grace, and now his life is this song of grace. Ephesians 2 is just this, he's just writing and writing. It's just this song. The, the, the passage that Rachel read uh, the, in the original writing, that's just one big sentence. He's just writing and writing and writing. It's, it's just flowing out of him. He understands grace, but, but he also talks about how messy things are in the meantime in this new life. Um, this is what chapter he's covered in chapter 7. So, so remember, we have, we have hope of future glory. So because of Jesus, one day we'll be made completely whole. Life in the new heaven and earth, life without sin, eternally in the presence of God. So what Jesus says, you inherit eternal life. But before them, in the meantime, we have some sanctification to do. We have some becoming like Jesus to do. So in, in, in Romans 7, Paul says, he talks about how we used to be married to the law. This old way of living, of striving, uh, of keeping the law, of having to, 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 to constantly be reminded of what we need to do, what we need to gain approval. He says it's like being married to, this old, to the old way of, uh, of living. It's being married to the law. But in verse 4, he, he says, in, in chapter 7, he says, My brothers and my sisters uh, who have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You've died to the law. You've died to that old husband so that you can belong to another one. To him who has been raised from the dead. Jesus, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So, so, so with Christ, we have, we, have, we have died with Christ to the law, we're told, so, so that we can be married to a new husband. Okay? You, you've died with Christ, and you've also been raised with Christ. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. So, and because of that, we are released from the previous marriage. We're released from the law. You're, you're dead to the old husband, the old way of the law. And so that you can now serve uh, in this new way. He says this new way of the Spirit, your new life. So in our new life, we're released from the law where we no longer have to, to approve ourselves. We no longer have to be reminded of all we have to do, all the striving. No, it says we've died to that, buried with Christ, and we walk, and we walk in newness of life. In the Spirit, he tells us. Not the old way, not the law, But Paul goes on to, to describe the struggle that still exists. He, he still has this, he knows that, but he still has this temptation to go back to the old way of living, the, the old way of, of placing your identity and performance in, in who you are and what you can do. But Paul says that you need to die to that earthly flesh, that, that fleshly desire. He, he, he says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ is within me. You, like, you know that's something that, that Paul would just say to himself over and over again every day. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ in me. That, this is your identity. The old way of living, the law, that old husband, that's not your identity any longer. You've been given a new identity, one of grace. Embrace it. 
But Paul says, I still have this struggle. He says, the things that I, that I don't want to do, I still do. The things that I do want to do, I don't do. He calls himself the, the chief of sinners still. Redeemed, brought from death to life, a recipient of grace, but still a sinner. Still struggling on this side of eternity. But chapter 8, chapter 8 is so good. And the end of chapter 7 is this like confession of sin, okay? But chapter 8, he starts preaching. So he says, wretched man that I am, this sinner. But in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, so therefore, and there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He's remembering the grace he's been shown. He's remembering the gospel. He says, you're going to mess up, okay? Children, it's messy here. He says, Satan has been, has been defeated on the cross, but until Jesus comes again and chains him up forever, he's like, a, prowl, he's like a, a, a lion prowling around, spewing lies of condemnation. But remember, by grace you have been saved. You have freely received the righteousness of Jesus, and there is now no more condemnation for you. You've been set free in Christ from the law of sin and death, Okay, he says, listen, you have nothing to prove. You don't have to be something because you already have everything in Christ. And if you keep making your way through chapter 8, um, I hate to pass over some of that stuff. We just don't have time. And you get down to verse 31. He starts talking about God's everlasting love for you. Not just God's love for you, God's everlasting love. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because of what he's accomplished on your behalf, there is nothing that can now separate you from his love. He says in verse 32 uh, that he didn't even spare his own son's life, but he gave him up for you. That's not cheap grace. That's costly grace. You've been bought with a price. In verse 33, he says, who can bring any charge to God's elect, his people? What's going to separate you from him? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Sickness? No. In verse 37 he says, in all of these things we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, somehow more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? It says it in the verse. Through him who loved us. By grace. Not because of us, but because of the grace he's shown us, we are more than conquerors of all these things. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's taken it. He's taken that condemnation. There's no more for you. That's grace. Listen to me. You were dead. But by grace you have been saved. Let's stand.